0: The Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9 30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Hello, my friends. Let me set this series up with seven important statements of background and essential information as we begin. Number one, we live in a valley. The psalmist writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's not talking primarily about moments of actual death, but about a place where death is common, in fact, where it is universal. This past year, we've seen this valley displayed over and over again because of COVID, because of racism, because of political unrest, just to name a few. Since the outbreak of the COVID-19 Our world has had more than 137 million reported cases and more than 3 million reported deaths. We live in the valley of the shadow of death. Since early in 2020, the U.S. has had more than 31 million reported cases of COVID and more than 562,000 reported deaths because of COVID. We live in the valley of the shadow of death. Since early in 2020, the state of Connecticut has had more than 325,000 reported cases and more than 6,000 reported deaths because of COVID. We live in the valley of the shadow of death. And listen to this. In the first three months of 2021, there have been in the United States 126 mass shootings with 148 people killed and 481 people injured for a total of 629 total victims, some including the shooter. We live in the valley of the shadow of death. How do we cope in this valley? This worship and preaching series will address not only coping, but living in this valley, and living in peace in this valley, peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with others a second important thing to note as we begin and that would give you the giving you the background to the 12 steps in december of 1934 william griffith wilson was hospitalized for excessive drinking during his hospital stay he had a spiritual experience that removed his desire to drink in the following months he tried to persuade other alcoholics to stop drinking just as he had Wilson found his first convert in Dr. Robert Smith, who was willing to follow Wilson's method to find freedom from alcoholism. On June the 10th, 1935, Bill W. and Dr. Bob co-founded Alcoholics Anonymous. Four years later, they published the book Alcoholics Anonymous that contains the 12 Steps, a spiritually based program of recovery from alcoholism. Throughout this preaching series, I will fill in some of the history and traditions of AA that relate to each specific step. But for now, let it suffice to say that AA was born out of need, and for the past 86 years, it has met the needs of millions of people who struggle with addiction to alcohol. I'll be using the 12 steps as a framework for these sermons coming up. A third important thing for background is the background of Christianity. The Jewish people have been looking for a Savior, a Messiah, since the earliest days of their existence, and certainly since the days of their great king, King David. Jesus was born about a thousand years after King David and proclaimed that he was the promised one, the Son of God who had come to save people from their sins. His earliest disciples believed him to be what he claimed, and they surrendered their lives to him. Ever since then, there have been people who have accepted both Jesus and his message and have become part of his church. Here at Bethany, we are convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died to pay for our sin, that when surrendered to, Jesus enters our life by the Holy Spirit and transforms our attitude and our actions to live life God's way that Jesus desires that we partner with him in both telling the good news about himself and living the good news by loving and caring for other people. It is our belief that Christianity is much more than a religion. It is a personal and corporate relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And what Jesus wants is for us to become good news people. A fourth background of importance. A little knowledge is dangerous. Listen to this. An eight-year-old boy came home after school with a big question for his parents. Sitting together at the dinner table, he finally asks them, where did I come from? His mom and dad look at each other in parent sign language. You know it. Each motioning that the other should really respond to the question. Finally, the dad speaks. He tells his son all about the love between a man and a woman who marry each other. How they, well, you know. As the father is talking about his son's birth and all the appropriate details, this young boy's eyes get wider and wider and his mouth drops open more and more. Finally, the father finishes his answer and says to his son, So, do you understand where you come from now? And his son responds, I think so. Then the father asks, why did you want to know? And his son answers, well, you you know, Jimmy, he rides a school bus with me every day. Anyway, we were talking and he told me that he was from Chicago. So I just wondered where I was from. Both parents thought they knew why the question was being asked. They had formed an opinion and a response before they had all the information. If you attend every Sunday, online or in person, what I'll be preaching from in this series, you will only have a little knowledge about the 12-step program and the God-given truth on which this recovery program is based. Trust me, it will only be a little knowledge. Most likely, it will be a little knowledge more than you have now. Likewise, if you attend every Sunday, online or in person, When I will be preaching this series, you will have only a little knowledge about Christianity and a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Trust me, it will only be a little knowledge, but it might be a little knowledge more than you have now. With that in mind, I encourage you to be slow to come to conclusions, even slower to give others advice from what you will learn. Take time to listen. Listening is when you learn. We are never learning when we are talking. We have a chance to learn when we listen. And each person has a story to tell if we will just listen to them. A fifth important period of background is that we are each unique. Like no two snowflakes are alike, so no two people are alike. Each of us is unique. Imagine with me for a moment that you're stuck in traffic on I-91. It's dead, stopped. As you look around at the people in the other cars, you wonder what they're thinking, what their life is about, what matters to them. Certainly, they're in the same predicament with you, stuck on I 91. So it might appear that each of you is in the same condition, but nothing could be further from the truth. Each person got on I 91 at a different place, and they will get off at different places. Some are driving, some are riding. Some are talking, some are listening, some are sleeping. Each person is thinking different thoughts, seeing the same sights in different ways, having unique conversations, listening to different stations, iPods, or MP3s. So it is with people who are in a recovery program. Each has a different story to tell. How they got there, how they've progressed, how they think and act and live is unique. And so it is with people who are Christian. Each person has a different story to tell. How they believed, how they're growing, how they think and act and live is unique. This is why I believe James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes this, Be quick to listen, slow to speak. A sixth background of importance here is that the Bible is relevant to life today. As the scripture was read by Carolyn a few moments ago in our worship, did you feel connected to it? Did the word images reveal to you some of your own experiences of struggles with life? It certainly did for me. I am thoroughly convinced that the Bible is completely relevant and informative to all of life, all of life today. Those who speak otherwise reveal to me either a lack of understanding or experience with the Bible. Every week we will open and read the Bible, and I believe its relevancy will be very apparent. Note also that the Bible and its teachings is the basis out of which this most widely successful addiction 12-step recovery program was born. And the final background point is that serenity is possible. Serenity is possible in my relationship with God, Serenity is possible in my relationship with myself. Serenity is possible in my relationship with others. And serenity is possible as a way of living. Serenity, a state of tranquility, of rest or peace. Often synonyms are given as calm or quiet or rest and peace, specifically inner peace. I have experienced serenity with God, with myself, and with others. I've also known strife with God, with myself, and with others. I've experienced a lifestyle of serenity, at least from time to time. I've also known a lifetime of stress and anxiety. Much in life causes anxiety in people. Jesus' call to himself is a call to serenity. Listen to what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. One element of the 12-step practiced in AA by most of its chapters is called the serenity prayer. It is prayed at every meeting. This prayer was written by American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. I invite you to join me in praying this prayer as I begin this message entitled Admitting My Deception. Let us pray together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Step one. We admitted that we were powerless over alcohol or any other addiction or obsession of our lives and that our lives have become unmanageable. Understanding step one is to understand the incidences of powerlessness in our lives. For most people, the notion of being able to manage their life is a self-deception. People tend not to neither admit nor face their problems. Instead, they often choose to cover their problems by medicating themselves. Some seek adventure to get the adrenaline rush. It's an addiction to adrenaline. Others become workaholics. Some gamble or go shopping. Others take the medicine of pornography. Some eat. Others insert themselves into other people's lives and seek to organize and control them. And still others take drugs or turn to alcohol. There is a medication available for every unique person and for every form of self-deception. For the alcoholic, the notion of being able to manage their life manage their addiction, is a total deception. Step one is very difficult. Listen to what AA says on this. Quote, Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. It is truly awful to admit that glass in hand, we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive drinking that only an act of providence can remove it from us, end of quote. I find a similar thing in the lives of people who aren't alcoholics, but have other addictions and obsessions. They deceive themselves into thinking, talking, and acting as though they can manage their life. But the reality of their deception is revealed at some point, either on their relationships, in their economics, or in their health. Over time something in life will reveal the reality that we need help, that we cannot lick our obsession or addiction, that we cannot lick sin. This is called hitting bottom, and it is located at a different place for each unique person. In the program of AA, it is made clear that bottom must be hit in order for help to begin. Listen to how this is stated by AA in their books. Quote, Only through utter defeat are we able to take our first steps towards liberation and strength. Our admissions of personal powerlessness finally turn out to be firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. So, how do I work step one? Well, first, we need to recognize that step one is putting on the brakes. You can't go up until you stop going down. Stopping the down is hitting the bottom. But step number one is also an admission. I can't do my life this way anymore. I can't juggle. I can't control. I can't manage my life, my environment, my family, my work, my faith, my children, my parents, and certainly not my addiction, my obsession, my sin. So, do I need help? Do I need step one? You can only answer this three ways. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Or, I've already taken step one. Interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul needed step one. Listen to what he wrote. I decided one way and then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. I have tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. My friend, these are the signs of an unmanageable life. Paul admitted powerlessness. He admitted he needed help. And this was after Paul had become a follower of Jesus, fully converted with the Holy Spirit in him. You see, step one is not a sign of a faltering faith in God. Step one is a sign of having put our faith in ourselves. And that just doesn't work. Only you can answer the question for you. Do I need help? Admitting the need for help is the first step to help and wholeness and peace. But it's just the first step. Now, I have some good news for you. It is to step one people that Jesus comes. And I don't want to be misunderstood here. Jesus comes to all people at all times. But there are certain people, people in certain places and times in life, who actually recognize and accept his coming. Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 5, 32 And we are to remember that repentance is not the answer, but it is the beginning of the answer. Repentance is turning around and going in a whole new direction towards God's Son, Jesus Christ. Only when we work step one, only when we recognize and admit our need, only then will we stop looking to ourselves and become open to looking toward God, who always comes to those who need and want help. Admitting I'm an alcoholic or I'm a name your own addiction or obsession, that is the beginning step for sobriety. Admitting I'm a sinner, that's the beginning step for peace with God and a genuine relationship with Him. And it is to people who declare their needy condition that God always comes. God, who is mighty to save, always comes. Finding peace in the valley, and most particularly peace with God, begins with admitting our need for help. That is the first step. May God help us all to take that step. Amen.